I'm not afraid. Are you? The Watchman Speaks discusses biblical solutions to modern-day dilemmas. I'll tell you the truth, even if it's not what you want to hear. I am the old watchman, Ezekiel. I pray you listen. Welcome to The Watchman Speaks. I'm your host, Bonnie Richardson. This is the 10th episode of The Watchman Speaks. Are you impressed? Well, I'm genuinely and pleasantly surprised. I may celebrate. When I started this podcast, I admit that I was somewhat apprehensive about my abilities to make it this far. The fact is, there are a lot of others who never thought that I would make it this far. And yet, here I am, with you. Just goes to show that God can sustain anyone to do anything that he has for them to do, even an old man like me. Today, I want to go back and revisit time. If you haven't had the opportunity to hear episode 6, The Essence of Time, that I discussed on February the 6th of this year, I'd appreciate that you take my suggestion and listen to that episode. It plays an important part in what I'll be sharing with you over the next several weeks. What I would like to discuss with you today is the aspect of God's time from a historical and biblical perspective. The best way to do that is just dive in and get on with it. But I want to break down time into its basic elements so that anyone can understand. It can, and does, get deep at times. Let me start off by saying that there are basically three calendars. There is the Gregorian calendar that most of the world goes by with 12 months in the year, ranging from January to December. The Gregorian calendar is a solunar calendar and is dictated by the earth circumventing the sun. There is the Jewish civil calendar that Orthodox Jews follow, then there is the ecclesiastical calendar that is in God's Word, the Holy Bible. These calendars are lunar calendars that are dictated by the moon phases as it circles the earth. It is a more complex calendar that requires either dedicated observation and or some pretty serious acrobatic mathematical calculations to keep up with. We are all familiar with the Gregorian calendar. That was established in the Christian world by Pope Gregory the 13th on February 24th, 1582. What? Yep, that's when the calendar that we follow today was established, in 1582. However, Great Britain and all the British colonies did not begin using the Gregorian calendar until 1752. The Gregorian calendar replaced the Julian calendar that was established by Julius Caesar in 45 B.C., establishing a 12-month year based on solar year instead of a lunar year. The ecclesiastical calendar and the Jewish civil calendars are 12 or 13 months and function on lunar years. That means instead of having a leap year as the Gregorian calendar does every fourth year, these calendars have leap months, namely the 12th and 13th month of Adar in Adar two, every three years or so. Hold tight. Listen carefully. I told you it gets deep, and it can be rather confusing. So when did God's ecclesiastical calendar begin? We have to go back to Exodus chapter 12 to find that. And Exodus chapter 12, 1 through 2 reads, 
Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Now what God was saying was, Listen up, boys. Today is the first day of the month and the first day of the year. And this is the first month of the year. Write that down. Now was that the first mentioning of months and dates in the Bible? Nope. To find the first date mentioned in the Bible, we have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 7, verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were opened. So what calendar would have been in use and referenced then? To be perfectly honest, I don't know. I do know that Abraham was a descendant of Noah's son, Shem, as that is referenced in Genesis chapter 11, verses 10 through 31. Abraham, who was first known as Abram, was from Ur of the Chaldean region. Possibly it was the calendar that the Chaldeans used. What I am certain of is that by the time Moses came around, the Chaldean calendar was in effect. Now how could I know that? You see, in Exodus chapter 13, verse 4, it says, On this day of the month of Abib, that's A-B-I-B, but it's actually pronounced Aviv, you are about to go forth. Of course, Moses was speaking of the 14th day of the first month that God had established in chapter 12, verse 6. Abib, or Aviv, was the first month of the Chaldean calendar. Again, in Exodus 23, verse 15, the first month is identified as the month of Aviv, as it is in Exodus 34, chapter verse 18, and Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 1 as well. All right. We've established that the first month of God's ecclesiastical calendar was the month of Aviv. Were there any other months mentioned? Yes. There are several months mentioned and very many specific dates. Some specific dates were mentioned many times, and I'll be getting to those in later episodes. But here's where things get kind of hinky. You see, the names of the months changed in the Bible after a certain event. Now, what might that event be? I'll explain that in a few moments, but let's investigate what was changed before we look into when they were changed. Then we'll be better able to understand why they changed. In the Old Testament, prior to the destruction of Solomon's temple, and there is a date mentioned for that destruction, and the destruction of Jerusalem when the kingdom of Judah was taken into captivity by Babylon. There were only four months named, and those months are as follows. Abib, pronounced Aviv, is the first month of the year. Ziv, pronounced Zif, is the second month of the year. Ethanim is the seventh month of the year. And Bull is the eighth month of the year. Every other date mentioned in the Old Testament prior to the Babylonian exile were merely identified as a certain numbered day of a certain numbered month. Sometimes the year of a king's reign was included to provide an exact time. However, these months by these names are not mentioned again after Babylon destroyed Solomon's temple in Jerusalem in 586 B.C. The event that changed everything and brought about the changes in the names of the months on the current Jewish civil calendar 
was when the kingdom of Judah went into exile under Babylonian captivity. Why? Well, first let's define Jews. Let's define Jews in the proper context of the historical timeline. Jews were the inhabitants of the kingdom of Judah. When the kingdom of Israel split into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah in approximately 975 B.C., the Jews at that time were the tribes of Judah, Levi, and part of the tribe of Benjamin. Those were Jews. The remainder of the tribes were the kingdom of Israel and known as sons of Israel. While in Babylonian captivity for 70 years, a new generation had been born as the older generation died out. It was only natural the younger generation to pick up on some of the language of their captors. Hence, the months of the Jewish civil calendar are as follows. Nisan, which is the first month. It replaces Aviv. And Nisan is from the Babylonian word Nisanyu, which means head of the year. Iyar is the second month, and it is not mentioned by name in the Bible. Sivan, pronounced Sewan, is the third month and is mentioned in Esther, chapter 8, verse 9. The fourth month is Tammuz. It is not mentioned as a name of a month in the Bible. Only mention of Tammuz is in Ezekiel, chapter 8, verse 14, mentioning women weeping for Tammuz, who was a Babylonian god who was the lover of Ishtar, Ashtoreth. And Tammuz is associated with Easter by association with Ishtar. By the way, Tammuz usually falls, for the most part, in the month of June, which is Gay Pride Month. Are you beginning to see the bigger picture? The fifth month is Av, which is pronounced Ab, and it is not mentioned by name in the Bible. Elul is the sixth month, and is mentioned by name in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. Tishri, the seventh month is not mentioned by name in the Bible. Cheswan, or pronounced Heswan, the eighth month is not mentioned by name in the Bible. Kislev, or Kishlu, is the ninth month, and it is mentioned in Nehemiah 1, verse 1. Tevet, or Tibet, is the tenth month, is mentioned in Esther chapter 2, verse 16. Shivat, or pronounced Shivat, the eleventh month is mentioned in Zechariah chapter 1 verse 7. Adar is the twelfth month and is mentioned in Ezra chapter 6 verse 15 and in Esther chapter 3, 7, chapter 3, 13, chapter 8 verse 12, chapter 9 verse 1, chapter 9 verse 15, chapter 9 verse 17, chapter 9 verse 19, and chapter 9 verse 21. There you have the months of the Jewish civil calendar. Most carry the names of the Jewish civil calendar and apply those names to the ecclesiastical calendar. I don't have a real big problem with that. They carry the same timelines and acknowledge the same dates. However, on the Jewish civil calendar, it is recognized that the first day of the seventh month of Tishri is the beginning of the new year. Now, how did they come up with that? Well, without diving off into the deep end of some serious mathematical calculations and to make a long story short, there was an 11th century philosopher named Memoniades. He took the complex computations of a 2nd or 3rd century philosopher named Hillel II, or the second, 
and the lineages and events of the Old Testament and calculated backwards until he reached the first day of the seventh month, which would now be 5,783 years ago. Now I found that he had reached the day of creation. Sounds far-fetched, I know. That, according to Orthodox Judaism, as far as I understand it, is how old the earth is. Therefore, since sometime in the 11th century, the years of the Jewish civil calendar have been numbered. This year is 5783. For the time being, however, none of that is important for our discussion. What is important is that we know where we are right now on God's ecclesiastical calendar. Remember, the one God started in Exodus chapter 12. As of today, March 6, 2023, the event known as Purim has begun and will be celebrated for two days. What is Purim? Purim is the event which Queen Esther and her older cousin, Mordecai, saved the Jewish race from destruction in the hands of Haman. Go read the book of Esther. It's an easy, one-sitting reading. It's a beautiful example of God acting in a supernatural favor towards his people who were marked to be annihilated from the face of the earth. Haman was furious with Mordecai because Mordecai would not bow to him as an important person in Babylonian government. You see, Purim means to cast lots. Haman cast lots to determine when he had put his devious plans into action. Esther had favor with God and gained favor with her husband, the king, and foiled Haman's plan. Purim if you look out your window tonight, next few nights, perhaps you'll see a full moon. Full moon of the month of Adar. At the full moon, God delivered the Jews from being wiped off the face of the earth. Had he not done so, the Lamb of God, who will be known as the Lion of Judah, would never have been born to the tribe of Judah as it had been prophesied. The Lamb of God would never have lived to die on a cross for our sin on the full moon. Now you may say, Lani Purim is a Jewish holiday. That has nothing to do with us. Well, I beg to differ. You see, the Jews were delivered from total annihilation on that full moon during the 12th month of Adar. Now, if you go from that date and count forward the days of the plagues on Egypt, you'll arrive at the 14th day of Aviv, when the sons of Israel had been delivered from Egypt on the full moon. Jesus would deliver us from our bondage of sin on the 14th day of Nisan, on the full moon. Purim is also the time that God promised Moses that he would sanctify Israel, deliver Israel, redeem Israel, and become their God in Exodus chapter 6. Jesus did all those things for us on the full moon, on the 14th day first month of Nisan. Remember when I said Purim means to cast lots? Such is how decisions were made in the ancient days. Haman cast lots to determine when he would set his plan into action to exterminate the Jews. Roman soldiers cast lots for the clothes of Christ. The apostles cast lots to see who would replace Judas when God had already determined that Paul would be the replacement. God had just not acted upon that decision when the apostles cast their lots. So in this season, when you make a decision, be certain that it is a decision that honors God. 
In Exodus 6, God told Moses that he would give Israel the land that he had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He did that. But through Jesus, we have been sanctified or set apart by the deliverance of the redemption under Jesus' blood. And we have not a land to go to, but an inheritance in his kingdom upon his return. You see, Exodus chapter 6 in Purim and Esther are repeating patterns or events during the same season. Guess what? It's still in the process of being repeated. That means something. I can look back to the promises of God in Exodus 6 at Purim and Esther at the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross and have exceedingly great hope and unshakable faith. If God did all that back then, then I have nothing to fear if I happen to still be around when the book of Revelation plays out. God protected his people then, and he can protect his people now. Does that mean that there will be no martyrs or persecutions? No. But there will be no fear for those who meet those persecutions to come. Are you beginning to see the connections? Are you beginning to see how patterns have been repeating throughout the Bible and throughout history? First was the Passover in Exodus 12, which was preceded by the promises in Exodus 6. Then came the plagues upon Egypt. Several centuries later, almost a millennia, Purim would transpire in the book of Esther. And again, a reminder of God's promises in Exodus chapter 6. That event sets the stage for the ultimate Passover when Jesus hung on a cross in my rightful place for my benefit. So don't tell me God doesn't work certain ways in certain seasons. It's all God's time. Now God can and does work any way he chooses at any time he chooses. But when specific dates are mentioned in the Bible, I start paying very close attention. Those dates are there for a reason. Those dates are there to remind us of something. They are recorded to help our understanding of God's word. I get excited every time Purim comes around. Not only is it a full moon to remind me the death of my Lord and Savior, since Christ was crucified on the full moon, the 14th day of the first month of Nisan. I'm reminded of God's promises to the sons of Israel in Exodus the plagues God unleashed upon Egypt and how God protected Israel between those promises and the Passover. I'm reminded of the supernatural intervention of God in using Esther and Mordecai to save the Jewish race and maintain the promises in Exodus chapter 6. The Jews did return to the land out of exile. I remembered how great my God is and bless my soul. If he can do it back then, he can still do it today. And by the way, he already has. The Jews and Israel were scattered again in 70 AD when Rome destroyed the second temple of Jerusalem. Israel, in case you didn't know, returned to the land and became a nation of Israel in 1948. God gathered them back into the land. If you still don't believe God acts in accordance to the time that he created, let me open a new window for you. A watch for a watchman was three hours long. A watch is three hours. If you look into the New Testament at the events that unfolded leading up to and during the crucifixion of Christ, 
you will notice that Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. He left the disciples and went and prayed one hour. After the first hour, Jesus came back and woke up the disciples and told them to pray. He returned to pray alone again for another hour. When he returned to the disciples, they were asleep again. And he asked them, Can you not pray for one hour? He left them and returned to pray for another hour, a third hour. Jesus stood his watch while the disciples slept. If you go further into the events leading up to the crucifixion, you'll find that those events took place in three-hour intervals. I'm not going to take the time to spoon-feed it to you. You wouldn't get any benefit from me telling you where it is and what it is, and it wouldn't be any fun for me. But the point that I'm getting at is this. Even God himself and our Lord and Savior observed the time of the watches in the Bible or the divisions of time that God established. Does that not pique your interest and curiosity just a little bit? I've seen a lot of churches open their doors for prayer and a couple hours a day, and that's a good thing. I'm glad to see it. My church does it. It opens every morning from 6 a.m. till 8 a.m., which is the first watch of the day or the fifth watch of the entire day. I get up early on those days and pray for an hour before going to church to pray so that I can fulfill my watch. Not because I feel as though I have to, but because I want to. If I don't get to start my day with prayer, I feel cheated. Not that I feel disobedient, but because I didn't get to meet with my Heavenly Father. I'll address the watches and the times of the watches at a later time in another podcast. There's a lot to take in, biblically, about the watches. It's a beautiful picture of meeting with God. But currently, on the day of this broadcast, we're at the full moon on the month of Adar, on God's ecclesiastical calendar. That's Purim, as I described earlier. It is a joyous and exciting time. It causes me to believe that there are very possibly some welcome changes coming on the horizon. God's time is, well, His time. We are only given a certain amount of time in this life on this earth. Let that time be filled with joy, contentment, and a faith unshakable. Life is too short to be miserable. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, whether you realize it or not, you're too blessed to be a mess. I am the old watchman Ezekiel, and you, you have been warned. Well, that's all for now. I thank you for your time and participation. Our time together is precious to me. Please, come and visit me at theoldwatchman.com for show notes, articles, video content, book reviews, Bible study material reviews, and Bible study methods. It's my hope and prayer that you get to know me through this podcast. Through the website at theoldwatchman.com, I can get to know you. If you like the content, consider following The Old Watchman on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. See you next time. May nothing in your life be missing. Nothing in your life be broken. Shalom.